know what that means? Everything. Anglo-thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone so brilliant. That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of Anglo Fees. We are recording this the day after Eurovision, so guess what we'll be talking about for a little bit? That's right! Hercules Mulligan! <laughs> no, no, actually, it's, it's, it's Eurovision. I, I'm funny. <laughs> I'm Raiden. I'm hilarious. <laughs> I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. They are less hilarious than me. We, we've, we've hilarioused out live tweeting Eurovision yesterday. That's true. And I was busy, so I didn't get to see any of it, or really see any of the tweets other than some angry frothing that Belgium was robbed. <laughs> well, yes, they were robbed. I I believe it, but that is... I ran into a, a friend of mine at the play I went to last night who was pre-gaming the play in which the audience is encouraged to be drunk. Um, and she said, I'm pre pre-gaming by watching Eurovision. And I went, okay, all I know is that Belgium was robbed. Who won? And she said, Ukraine. And I went, oh... <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah. So, ladies. So, the first thing you need to know is that nobody set a piano on fire. There was no sexy butter churning. Nobody was in unicycles or dressed like a demon from hell. So, basically, I missed nothing. <laughs> well, we kind of got some of those elements thanks to Love, Love, Peace, Peace. That was, was brilliant. Halftime number. <laughs> It was actually the end time number, but it was brilliant. It was, they, they made this Eurovision in a nutshell, five minute song. And that was probably a highlight of the night for me. Well, we should say this year, the show was held in Stockholm and it was hosted by the amazing Pietro Medi and the other guy who won last year, who was just, he was there, you know, he was nice. But the real gem was Pietro Medi, who is the greatest. Mans, we we did get to see his abs for a bit, so he brought something to the proceedings. He got totally naked during the semis. That's what she said. He was he had a wolf in front of him. It was fine. But the thing about Sweden is they know how to put on an exceptional Eurovision show. They had the tone locked down. They had an amazing halftime number, which we will have to show Raiden, which was how to make the perfect Eurovision song. <laughs> and they included the sexy butter churning. They included Lordy. They included the Russian grannies with their onstage baking, which is still my favorite. There was one dancer dressed up like Lorene doing the Euphoria dance. You could see it for <laughs> about a second. And there was a guy in a hamster wheel and naked men beating drums. Well-oiled naked men beating drums. Yeah. All of these, by the way, they, they do YouTube all the clips, and I'll make sure to include everything we mentioned in the show notes for those uh, wanted to, who didn't see, who want to check it out. The entire show will probably end up on YouTube because the Eurovision channel has it had up last year, so I imagine they'll have this year's up as well, as well as the semis. 
they actually had the finals performances already last night. I checked because I wanted to listen to the Bulgaria song again. That was my favorite. Yeah, this was actually an interesting year because there were more songs than ever that I actually genuinely liked. Like I've mentioned my love for Belgium song, which is a complete ripoff of about four different songs. It is a total ripoff of Another One Bites the Dust, of Blame It on the Boogie, of Uptown Funk, and it's great. <laughs> and she's dressed like a disco ball and she's got oh, she's adorable. She, she's adorable, she bounced. Uh, I really liked Bulgaria's, which was very catchy. There was a number of the kind of big ballad numbers, which were a big theme this year. Australia's was amazing. Yeah, she's really that's... good. That's Dami Im is the Australian singer. Yeah, she was the winner of the Australian X Factor, I believe. Like, Australia have been bringing their A-game these past couple years. Well, and one would hope so, about... but with their whole not actually being in Europe thing. We can't really complain about that. We let Israel, Georgia, and Azerbaijan compete. So I know. Yeah. Our definitions of Europe have been very nebulous. Yeah, so you have all of these, like, legitimately good songs, but it's all very safe. Like you mentioned, there was none of the kind of the camp or the... I mean, there were some very dramatic performances, but, you know, I don't think there was any of those kind of moments that you'll look back on in years to come and go, ah, oh, yes, remember that one? Like, there was no Hamster Wheel, there was no Verka um, Serdushka, there was no... no. Uh, well, okay. Like Technically, there was Verka Serduchka because <laughs> oh, you know Andrei Danilka presented the Ukrainian votes in costume as Verka Serduchka. So there you with go. his mother, apparently. I, I don't know if that was his real mother. Uh, he's had a few um, like video music videos to his songs, included a thing where like the family's there and Verka has to pay for everybody in the restaurant, things like that. So I kind of took that as a running gag with as okay. part of that running gag, but I'm not sure. She was. She seemed very happy to be holding a bottle of champagne while that was going on. I felt like she was living a good life. Mm-hmm. I hope Ukraine realized that they are now morally obliged to let Verka Serdushka host it next year. Oh, please. Because <laughs> remember, he, he got in trouble when his song came out. And, and this is just a really thinly veiled slam of Russia. Do you guys, do they just keep sending those songs? Yeah. You know, I haven't looked this up. I think I mentioned this before, but Verka Serdushka hasn't had a hit on Russian radio in about a year. And usually there's at least one, like, in rotation. And that, But now I'm wondering if rather than, you know, he hasn't put out songs in character or anything like that, could it be a political decision? Like, maybe he's just a very political person who pulled out of, like, sending his songs to, in, to rotation on Russian radio, one, Russian radio stations once, you know, the Civil War and, and, the, and the invasion and the annexation happened. So I haven't looked that up. I, I'm actually kind of curious now. I might see if there's anything written on the subject. Uh, there is something I almost admire about Verker Sadushka being the great political radical of Ukraine. <laughs> Completely in costume. <laughs> he also apparently appears in the movie Spy with Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, he does. Yes, yes he does. Really? Doing yes. the Eurovision number. You haven't seen it yet, Kaylee? I've got a lot of things to do that I keep putting off, and that, watching that movie is one of them. Fix it. <laughs> it's on Netflix in Canada. I don't know about other jurisdictions. I know it's very different looks, but... Definitely, it will. It it will be part of you living your best life is you watching Spy and staying <laughs> for the after credit scene. Definitely, we'll do then. But okay. I love that the mainstream appeal of that. <laughs> All right, but back to the show. Back, I'm putting Herta's back just because we have to talk about it eventually. So the show was 
a little too dignified for my taste, but had yeah. fairly good yeah, music. I, I'm sorry, Sweden and dignified? Sweden tried. The contestants didn't bring it. Yeah, okay. that was the thing. Okay. All right. so safe. In an enjoyable way, because like I said, the songs were good. But you were yearning for somebody to set something on fire or put mm. on some kind of pointy hat or rip off some piece of clothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Just just something. And then once it got to the, the voting, I think that really revealed a lot about the way that the process happens. And I have mixed opinions on that. But if nothing else, it's sort of... So to explain how the voting goes, it's 50% of the vote comes from a panel of jurors in each country who are music industry professionals, apparently. And 50% comes from a public vote. So this year, they didn't change the way that was done. They just decided, we'll go to each person in each country and give them, you know, they will give the results of the jury vote. And then at the end, there was all of it calculated in a way that I didn't quite understand. So here's all the results. And now here's like the amount of points that the public gave each contestant. So basically, they used to present the two, like before the voting would happen, they would merge the public votes with the jury votes and then line the songs up that way. But now they've separate, they've shown you how, where the separation is. Hmm. So in other words, you know how they say there's two things you should never see made, laws and sausages? It turns out you should never see the behind the scenes of Eurovision voting either. It was so strange because, you know, what? I actually think this should be a year where Eurovision committee just are just ballsy enough to get rid of the public vote and have it be entirely juries. Like just for one year to see how it works, because what we got out of this is a democracy doesn't work. B, the Brits have terrible tastes. And C, you spend years and years and years saying, this contest isn't political, it's about the music, this is not about voting for your pals in the country next to you or trying to get revenge in another country. And then you realise, it kind of is, if that country is Russia. So when the jury voting was, was, uh, was done, like when they presented the entirety of the jury votes, Australia was in the lead. By a long shot. There were basically like two camps. There were the countries who were taking a stand on the Ukraine versus Russia divide. And then there was everybody else who was voting for politically neutral Australia. (laughs) Australia was Switzerland in this case because Switzerland weren't actually competing. So Ukraine was still like in the top three and Russia, I think, in the top five after the completion of the jury vote. For example, Poland got almost no, none of the jury votes. And yet it was like the fourth favorite popular vote song. Which is ridiculous as well, because that song was terrible. Yeah, I was not into the Polish vampire. His song was called What Color Is Your Life? Grey like my fucking soul. Poor Germany. I feel bad for Germany who came in last both in the jury and the popular voting. Oh, Germany and her Hello Kitty outfit. So Germany sent a teenager. Her name is Jamie Lee. She's Okay, what is, you know what weeaboo is to Japan? She's that to Korea. Oh, God, yes. Like, I'm sure she's lovely, but it must be hard to grow up and have all of your fangirlish squee be out there for about a billion people to watch. So Mm. she got dressed in this brightly colored Harajuku-style outfit, but the song was still a generic love ballad, and I kind of feel like, look, if you're going to be dressed in this basically like a, like a costume because you love k-pop just saying something that sounds like k-pop and i think that disconnect is what cost her 
ultimately. Honestly, the big five, who are the five countries who get into the final every year because they give the most money to the European Broadcasting Corporation, um, Spain, Italy, France, Germany, and the UK. I honestly feel like the five countries did pretty good this year in terms of, you know, good songs. You know, France put some effort into it this year. Italy's I wasn't too keen on. It had a weird performance. Um, Spain's was great. And UK, okay, this was the most that we've tried in years. It was like, I mean, we're still riding that depressing Ed Sheeran and Mumford and Sons high. So it mm-hmm. was kind of like that. But they were perfectly sweet kids, you know. Mm-hmm. They were both on the British version of The Voice. And then they teamed up to do this song. And it was a perfectly sweet song. And when it came through all the jury votes, it was like, hey, we're doing okay. You know, we're, you know, not doing great, but we're doing better than we've done in years. And it came to the public vote and it was like, oh, we're humped. <laughs> <laughs> it was brutal to watch. I mean, it certainly helped the tension build up as less and less countries, you know, got to those top spots and you realized it was going to come down to Ukraine versus Russia. But man, I felt so sorry for... Um, the UK, especially because all these other countries whose entries were crap, started going above us. Like Poland went from last to about seventh or eighth out of twenty-six because of the way that this vote was tallied up. Mm-hmm. And then so what, strange. what happened was they announced so the fourth, so only three votes left, and it's Australia, Ukraine, and Russia. And as I said, they were Australia was first, Ukraine was second or third, but I think second, and Russia was like fourth or fifth going into this so then australia gets third in the popular vote then ukraine gets second but it's enough to put it over australia and russia gets first but it only puts it in third total yeah and it was really strange to watch i'm not sure if i liked it or not it certainly helped mount the tension up in a way that we haven't seen in the past few years because the winners tend to be so far ahead right so i see it from that point of view but when you're British, it just really sucks. And and it certainly blows the whole, like, there's no political vote. Like, it was just... It's not just that. It's because of Ukraine's particular song, like, and Russia's and Ukraine's particular approaches to this contest also mattered. So the two songs. Russia's entry was sung by Sergei Lazarev, but written by some of the really big names. Filip Kirkorov, who's a huge star, wrote the music. They hired like Eurovision winning lyricist to write English language lyrics. Big ballad. Was it called My Only Love? The lyrics I remember best is Thunder and Lightning. It was a big light show. They all, uh, this is, so last year when uh, Sweden's Mons won, his song uh, was a company, like he was alone on stage, but there were these graphic figures around him, right? Like he was, it's like this contest, everybody did that. And I don't know if it's because the entries chose it or it's because it's just the way sweet, the like the stage Sweden provided. So almost everyone was accompanied by a light show and there were even holograms and that kind of like non-textual but graphical accompaniment to the song. So Russia went all out with that. And really well. Like it was at a really well put together performance. So it was it was actually very calculated for like Eurovision grandeur. <laughs> but that's the thing is, I think so many winners this not winners this year, but competitors this year were calculated in that way. Ukraine's was hugely manipulative in a similar way, but even stuff like um, well, Australia's song was clearly mm-hmm. like grown in a lab <laughs> for <Yes>. Eurovision purposes. <laughs> But I think it was the same thing that they had last year with Russia's entry, which isn't a bad song, but it was so 
gratuitously up with people, mm-hmm. especially and because Ukraine's absence in the show last year was so hugely felt. I think people could see the strings a lot more clearly and they weren't happy about it. Mm-hmm. But Russia's songs seem to go down well in the hall this year. Last year they were booed like crazy and this year he wasn't. I mean, maybe there's just some distance to the conflict now, you know. At a certain point, how much do the people of Europe really care, right? I don't yeah, know. last, last I mean, year it was like happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, I think if Ukraine had competed last year and not sat it out, I think I don't think they would have won this year. Mm-hmm. Because I do think that there was an element of that played into it. Although not for Britain, because our jury vote went to Georgia and our public vote went to Lithuania. Do, do we talk about Georgia? Okay, so here's the thing. Georgia sent essentially an indie rock guitar group. So like bad. You know that band that kept trying to add you as friends on MySpace? It's that so bad. bad. They're like a tribute band for every rock band available, you know? Oh, you need this to be the Strokes tonight. You need this to be the Killers tonight. It was like that. I actually turned them off. It was yeah. my lead. But the thing was, they played in the semis, right? And our commentators, Scott Mills and Mel Giedrich, Mel from Bake Off, mm-hmm. uh, they heard the song and they went, oh, taxi, please, for Georgia. They're not getting through with that. And then they did, and they had to stifle their laughs when it actually got through. And then Graham Norton was doing the same damn thing last night when it was announced that we'd given Georgia 12 points. (laughs) Like, I was just stunned because it's such a nondescript song. The moment it stops playing, you have forgotten it. And it's not like there isn't a place for rock in Eurovision. I mean, Cypress Monster was better. And then, of course, Lordy. Mm -hmm. But like Lordy had some theatricality to them. I love Lordy. <laughs> Everybody loves Lordy. I don't know anybody who doesn't like Lordy. Like, how do you get mad at that? That is so... My favorite Lordy lyric. The devil is a loser and he's my bitch. How could you get mad at a group that sings yeah. that? <laughs> okay, but... Without interlude over Ukraine. So here's what Ukraine said. This is Ukraine's apolitical, uncalculated, this is how we feel entry. Jamala is Crimean. She's a Crimean Tartar. She's singing a song called 1944 about Stalinist ethnic cleanses. And it's not even subtle. Like, Verka Sardushka's song was singing Rusky Rusky, bye bye bye, no no no. So like, you could at least pretend that that was a made-up gibberish language. This one was so clear, I'm stunned that they let it through. Because I assumed that it broke some kind of, you know, Eurovision rule. You couldn't be that explicitly political in your music. But I'm guessing that everyone had the same response this year, which was just, I really don't like Putin. Her, the song is not in Ukrainian. It's in uh, in her native language. I think it's just called Tartar language. I'm sorry if I'm wrong on this. You can see the lyrics on the website and you can look them up. I don't know how many people bother doing that. The lyrics are all, like, they don't call out Russia or Crimea by name. It's all like, they're coming for us in the night and... I will never see my friends or family again. So they're kind of about generically about a bad thing happening to you. But the title is 1944. So one could say that really if it weren't for the title, we could say it's a generic tragedy song. (laughs) She said that she actually did write it specifically because her family, her great-grandparents were caught in the cleanses and were, you know, deported from Crimea. And I don't know what her intent was, but like, let's, let's be real with the Ukrainian committee who decided to send her, like, yeah, this is an anti-Russian 
and also like they specifically send a um you know a Crimean because there's there's still I don't even know if the international community in general agrees which country Crimea belongs to right now. Can we also just agree the song's not that good? No, and that, and that was my <laughs> surprise. Like, polit- I get all the political voting, but when it came second in the popular vote, I'm like, okay, but the song's not actually better. Like, the Australian song was just better. No, that's like the Australian song. That's a proper ballad. But even, like, Serbia had a song about domestic violence. So if you wanted your really serious ballad with a message, technically Serbia's was far better. So that was just, you know, I'm stunned. I think that they put it in thinking... We're not going to win with it, but we might ruffle a few fredders, and this is our way of saying, you know, we're back in the game, so to speak. But it was just, yeah. Until, like I said, Belgium were robbed. Let's not forget that that means they have to put on a show next year, and this costs money. Yeah. I'm not sure Ukraine has money to put into, and they're not going to, they want to present, you know, a certain kind of face to the public. So. You know, well, okay, like you, a lot of countries, like smaller countries, they don't expect to win, but also realistically, they wouldn't necessarily want to because they couldn't afford to put on the show. Yeah. Usually in that case, it used to be, if you couldn't afford to put it on or if there was problems, it used to be that it went to the UK. So we were all for this. And then we found out that if Australia won, apparently the show would be hosted next year in Germany. So, like, what was the point of colonialism if we don't even get to host Australia's Eurovision? <laughs> Apparently, Australia, if it wins, has to co-host with a European country, but I don't know how they choose. Like, do they just basically get to pick one and say, would you like they to They pick the one that's got a Union Jack on their flag! <laughs> I'm gonna... Oh, you know, it's so much funner to discuss, like, your outrage about Australia's betrayal <laughs> than to think about the, the politics of what actually happened. I have to admit, I'm actually very happy that Australia are part of the process. One, they actually put effort into it. Two, um, every year they get Leland Chin to read out the points, Mm. and she's great. And also, like I said, you know, we we could technically call them British at some point in history, so if they won, you know. Curse is sudden but inevitable betrayal. We should be able to enter too, I'm just saying. Okay, so here's the thing as well about Eurovision this year. This was the first year the show was officially broadcast in America. It was on Logo. So Logo are an LGBT-focused channel. It's where RuPaul's Drag Race is shown. So you've already got your base locked in, you know? The people watching that show are watching it because they already love it and have been watching it on the internet for years. So why the fuck are we pandering to Americans with Justin Timberlake? (laughs) Oh yeah, Justin Timberlake showed up. Oh, and he couldn't even pronounce Eurovision properly, by the way. How do you pronounce it? He kind of just sort of went, you're up, and then kind of drozed off at the end. Aww. Is he doing this all to promote the Trolls movie? Apparently! Because I know he was at Cannes with it. It's fucking Trolls. Oh. And then he sang, like, a couple of songs. It was like a, it was a medley, like he was some sort of tribute act of himself. <laughs> um, It was just such a strange misfire of a moment and i don't know if it was the swedish committee's choice to do that i feel like that was a a eurovision committee decision because they feel like americans wouldn't have watched it otherwise but even his performance wasn't great it made you yearn for river dance again you know i mean i'm not necessarily a fan of him but he looked like he had absolutely no idea what was going on well i mean that's (laughs) this man that's in a trolls movie so you know 
if Justin Timberlake competed in Eurovision, like he would not do well. No, not with that song. Who would America send? <laughs> See, I think America needs to have a competition to find an entry, but what they need to do is have a Hunger Games style tournament where each state sends a singer. <laughs> and then you could throw in like man eating tigers and fire or something at some point. I don't care. It's your okay, one, I would watch that. Two, we do have an opening in the schedule since American Idol is now done. I'm surprised Simon Cowell hasn't pitched this already. Probably has. In an ideal world, my ideal world, like every nation's like pop idol show would actually be a vote for the Euro for like now the five continents Eurovision contest, and then they would come together and compete, and we'd have this glorious extravaganza of sparkles and pianos on fire. Well, we we've been at this for like twenty five minutes now, and. <laughs> And we could go 25 more we if you want. We could. We could, but this wasn't our uh, planned topic of the month. So, do you have any final wrap-up thoughts? Less politics, more drama. Yeah, hit us up on uh, Twitter if you want recommendations for songs from this year and Eurovisions of the past. Hit them up, not me. I'm not going to be any good. All I know is Sexy Butter Turning. That's all I remember. Okay, oh. I'm really annoyed that out of all my sparkling wit and insight, the tweet that got 1,500 retweets was the picture of the butter churning gif. <laughs> there are a lot of perverts on Twitter, is what I'm saying. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. All right, so Eurovision is done for another year. Next year in Ukraine, apparently. Now let's let's talk about uh, superhero fatigue. Do we have it? Yes. <laughs> Let me put it this way. The amount I want to see a Black Panther movie is the negative amount I give a shit about Benedict Cumberbatch's Eat, Pray, Love, Adventure in Fake Tibet. <laughs> Are we going to be fair. using his real name throughout this episode, or can we go for all of the much funnier versions? <laughs> you can do what you want. Okay, yeah, I'm going to get up the Benedict Cumberbatch you. name generator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yes. Am I going to see Doctor Strange? Of course I'm going to see Doctor Strange because I'm Why? Weak. Because I'm weak. Because I'm a MCU completist. At least when it comes to the movies, I pretty much gave up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just because I don't have time. And it doesn't have any effect on the movies anyway. I watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mickelson's in it, so, you know... You've got that to focus on at least, but yeah, uh, I it took me so long to watch the trailer for Doctor Strange because I was cringing so hard. It's just I could be having a Black Panther movie with Lupita Nyong'o now and, and Chadwick Boseman in, in, and Michael but, B. Jordan, yeah, and Tessa Thompson, isn't she? Or is she in no, Thor? No, that's Thor. She's in Thor. Yeah, she'll probably pop up in Black Panther films since this is how this works. Okay, okay. Civil War. Did we all like it? I haven't yes. seen it. You can talk, like I said, superhero fatigue. Honestly, you can spoil all you want. I do not care. I would say that for people who wanted more of a Captain America movie and less of an Avengers movie, it was probably a little disappointing. Well, you can thank Robert Downey Jr. for that. But also at this point, may- maybe yes, but 
the universe is so complicated. I could see, and they have so many storylines and so many things. I appreciate that it's now hard to do a movie that really cuts out everybody but the one character, unless they're completely off-world, like Thor could be or the Guardians of the Galaxy are. Yeah, I mean, look, I assume that you guys had roles in, in Civil War. I feel like I'm the only person on the planet who didn't. So, I mean, there was a lot of, like, Captain America and also Tony Stark's feelings. I'm tired of Tony Stark and his feelings. But we also got Spider-Man, which was good enough for, you know, say my husband to walk out in the movie theater and say, okay, I'll see that Spider-Man movie. Yeah, yeah, the Tom Holland, is that the new Spider-Man? I I believe so. Yeah, which is really confusing because in Britain there's a historian called Tom Holland. (laughs) But he's, he was good. The Spider-Man parts were great. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah, he's... he was cute. He was charming. He definitely had the, the kind of happy-go-lucky. I can't believe all this shit is happening to me. Demeanor. It's kind of amazing how Aunt May has been, getting progressively younger as the Spider-Man reboots keep happening. There were two things, I really like, what this set up for the Spider-Man movie, and one of those things is kind of aesthetic in that. Because Tony makes him a proper superhero suit, we now don't have to go through kind of hand-waving of how a teenager could get himself a proper superhero suit. Right. And the other thing is, we will not have to sit through another origin story. Fuck. God, I hope so. I'm interested to see exactly what they do with the Black Panther movie. I'm kind. Of, I'm okay if it's an origin story, because I don't know that origin. But, like, the Spider-Man origin, we all know. We all fucking mm-hmm. know. We... If anything, we can just listen to Imagine Dragons Radioactive and <laughs> get the we get the gist right there. So Well that's the trailer music sorted out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well apparently the Imagine Dragons album was originally a sort of test for song for Turn Off the Dark. Mm-hmm. And that's why Radioactive is a song. <laughs> and that's why and they and Tamor decided not to go with that, but Imagine Dragons were like, well, we could make some tweaks to these songs and make them legit, make a legit album. So they did. And there we go. (laughs) Which is like the most hilarious thing I've heard this month. You know, I liked how the movie almost kind of called out the Aunt May getting younger thing because Tony's basically hitting on Marisa Tomei Aunt May. Or at least he, he, he's kind of mentioned it. Yeah, but it's like, like, come on, though. Well, I was thinking about it, and really, yes, Ame was, was portrayed as much older, but really, in the comics, she was kind of the age of his grandmother. Like, I'm only 11 years older than my oldest nephew. Mm-hmm. If, when he was a teenager, I was in my late 20s. So a younger Aunt May makes sense generationally, in the next film, she's going to be played by Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> Definitely. Poor Andrew Garfield. That's going to be the forgotten Spider-Man years. Oh, I haven't even seen them. I haven't seen the second one. I did go see the first one. Yeah. Um. So the MCU is chugging along and DC is definitely having some growing pains as they're trying to will a shared universe into existence by 
I, I don't even know, eating a lot of fiber? <laughs> it's okay, but Affleck is there to save them all. <laughs> There's no DC Universe power struggle. It, yeah. I'm honestly more fascinated by the inevitable Vanity Fair oral history of the making of the DC Universe we're going to get in about five years' time than I am by <laughs> any of their films. Wonder Woman included, which really saddens me to say that because I really like Patty Jenkins. It's incredibly depressing that there have only ever been two women directors to make a film with a $100 million plus budget. But the more that they keep talking about that film and they keep saying, oh, but it is going to be it's really dark. And yeah, I've been talking to Zack Snyder and I was like, no, get away from him. Lock him in a box, throw away the key, put him somewhere else. <laughs> and that's, I think, the ultimate problem with... I mean, you could say this about a lot of the DC comics as well, which is when they reboot it, re reboot it the mode is, let's go dark and edgy. So if you want to make that film, then Zack Snyder is the guy to go with. And also David Goyer who's really one of the guiding hands in this. But it's so depressingly soulless to watch. Like, Man of Steel is hatefully bad. I haven't seen Batman vs Superman because I had better things to do with those six hours of my life. I haven't either. Mm. But they seem genuinely, like, the people at DC seem genuinely perplexed as to why their movie hasn't been more successful. It has been overtaken by Zootopia in -hmm. terms of box office, and it's probably not going to reach a billion dollars. Yeah, it has still made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, but the sheer amount of money they spent marketing the film means technically it's not going to break even, which is depressing sign of how Hollywood works now, isn't it? Yeah. I have a very fun fact. Mm -hmm. Domestically, not counting the foreign markets, Batman v Superman made less money than Deadpool on five times the budget. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, Civil War had its problems, but it wasn't, like, relentless, grimdark. There there was a point where mother's names became important, and I did not yell out in the theater because I am not... A monster. Ask him if his name is Martha. His mom's name is Martha. Because <laughs> I don't remember what Tony Stark's mom's name is, even. But yeah, it it's there's plenty of lighthearted humor and like Black Widow and Hawkeye are wailing on each other, and they kind of go, "We're still friends, though, right?" And Hage goes, well, it depends on how hard you hit me. And she's like, okay, clocks him in the face. So... The thing is, when you have, you know, the Falcon and Captain and Bucky, and they and they're they have this moments of funny dynamic, and they're charming, and it's lighthearted. Like DC doesn't have that. No, and, it... and it's not like they couldn't have that because there are plenty of versions of the comics where mm-hmm. you know Batman, who does have a dark past, but he can also be. You know, very funny and right. Even watch the Tim Burton film. You know, Michael yeah. Keaton as Bruce Wayne is great fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I read this this quote out to you? So this is from an interview that Zack Snyder did with Entertainment Weekly around the time Watchmen came out. So it's 2007. Mm-hmm. This was before he was ever attached to Superman or Batman or any of that stuff. 
everyone says that about Batman Begins. Batman's dark. I'm like, okay, no, Batman's cool. He gets to go to a Tibetan monastery and be trained by ninjas, okay? I want to do that, but he doesn't, like, get raped in prison. That would happen in my movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the thing. I like films that Zack Snyder has made. Zack Snyder is a hack. Mm-hmm. Like, legitimately a hack. People give Michael Bay crap, but Michael Bay... I think is aware of what Michael Bay is. Oh yeah, no, Michael Bay Michael Bay is at least self-aware to know that he he doesn't worry about plots too much or like as long as there's lots of CGI and some explosions. Yeah. He, but I think that Zack Snyder genuinely believes that he is like the Goddard of big budget blockbusters. And He's so far away from that, but he's been given an incredible amount of power to essentially shape a universe that billions and billions of dollars are raining and on and several other filmmakers' works because they're making the Aquaman movie mm-hmm. with James Wan, James Wan, who made. I'm just googling his now. I don't want to get this wrong. Was it uh, one Fast and Furious? No, just that's Justin Lin. Uh, James Wan directed The Conjuring, and he's really big in the sort of low-budget horror movie area. And there were recent rumors rumbling, which have since been refuted by him, that he was kind of getting cold feet over the whole universe, and wasn't happy with the direction they wanted to take the film in and all these things. It's Aquaman. How grimdark do you want to get? Oh, he did direct Furious 7, though, according to... Did he? Right. Yeah. And also the original Saw. And Insidious. That's what I was thinking of. Right. But Justin Lin is directing the third Star Trek movie. Is also a director on Fast and Furious, I believe. Mm-hmm. So you have two, like one of the most, you know, profitable directors in Hollywood. He doesn't need DC, but I think DC needs him because they just, quote unquote, let go of mm-hmm. Seth Graham Smith from the Flash movie. This was the guy that we ranted about getting a $100 million blockbuster movie, even though he's only ever uh, directed two episodes of TV. Right. So apparently the the official kind of word on it is they wanted someone with more experience. I was like, well, why did you hire this guy in the first place? And then you right, realize you s- you've got cold feet so hard because of what's just happened with Batman v Superman. Yeah. I mean, they sent Suicide Squad into reshoots. Oh, yeah. Can we talk about like the the trailers for Suicide Squad, because the first trailer was very grim, dark, serious, mm-hmm. including you know a lot of focus on Harley being tied to a bed and tortured by the Joker. Cut to a few months later, and the trailer is set to Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. and it's very clearly loud and funny. And then cut to the third trailer, and the focus is on Harley Quinn. Though I don't think that movie knows what it wants to be because I don't think DC know what movie they want to make. Well, Deadpool came out. That's what happened as well. And they realized actually, hey, people like to laugh. People don't just sit in their rooms crying all day. Zach, you lied to us. How dare you lie to us? <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious about Suicide Squad because I really like Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Margot Robbie's actually very good casting, although I wish she was about five years older. 
Because hmm. Marley's a doctor, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's got to be a little part of her that kind of conveys that. And I am afraid that it is just going to be, you know, the beat-up punching bag of the Joker. If if DC knew what people wanted, they would have given us Harley and Pam's road trip. And by Pam, I mean Poison yeah. Ivy. Yeah. And they very happily beat up creeps, creeping on kids, and, I don't know, maybe do some eco-terrorism or something like that. But it would be funny and bright and colorful and the ladies would be that people would pay money for that that's what people want margot robbie Mm -hmm. and the actress playing pam could get into character for us the extreme method technique that would allow them to beat the crap out of jared leto 24 7 i would watch that movie i would watch that movie movie in imax (laughs) 3d imax the whole package yep with popcorn I keep hearing Linda Holmes talk about reclining cinema seats, and I really want to try them out. Oh, honey, you like Sally Kidney? Come visit me, and we'll see all <laughs> the movies in our reclining seat theater. That like, it's mm. a dream come true. Yes, or or we'll have to we'll have to steal a car for this. But we have theaters that have like premium seating where you can order actual dinner, and they will bring it to you. Oh, oh yeah. Including but not limited to booze. I mean, like there there are some things that America does right. Not many, but this is one of them. Now imagine that, but on a big screen where you could watch Eurovision. <sighs> I'm almost crying patriotically now. <laughs> <laughs> Dab away the tears with the stars and stripes. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry to bring the mood down again, but we need to talk about Jared Leto for a little bit. Oh, Must okay. We? To quote Linda Holmes, Glenn Weldon, <laughs> and Stephen Thompson. Do we, though? Do we? <laughs> okay, so I don't know how... I feel like this has become less controversial over the past couple of years, but I legit do not think Jared Leto is a good actor. I think he got an Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club because he played trans... And that was seen as very brave and worthy. I think he is a pretentious douchebag. I don't think his rock music is very good. And I also think he's generally just a pervert. I mean, never trust a man who's friends with Terry Richardson. Mm-hmm. So the big thing that's obviously been coming out of a lot of the discussion of Suicide Squad has been Jared Leto was the Joker. Okay, I understand that he has big shoes to fill... And I understand that there's a certain mystique around playing the Joker for really horrific reasons. There's mystique around playing him because a man died. And I feel like he thinks he's got to live up to that in some way. And the way he's decided to do that is by being a total prick. So all the great stories about him, I say great, on set are he constantly stayed in character, which is not an unusual thing for actors, but he sent rats to the crew members he would make threatening calls during, you know, nights off. He would. He had a henchman who he got to bother people. And the news story was that he sent used condoms and anal beads to cast members. Mm-hmm. But not Viola Davis, because she would never stand for that shit. Oh, no. She would have... You know, I don't know how true I can believe all of these stories, because I feel like she would have killed him regardless. <laughs> 
So this is the the rumor that I heard. Obviously, this is a rumor, so make of it what you But the rumor I'd heard was that Jared Leto has not actually done all of these things. He this is being spread as part of the marketing. If that is the case, what the hell is going on with the PR department at DC that they think telling an actor the best way to promote his movie is to talk about how he sexually harassed and bullied his cast members. Like, I'm mm-hmm. going to guess that these cigar-chewing, filet mignon-eating executives have never actually met a real woman. Or they do, but they're mm-hmm. only their secretaries and they refer to their legs as gams. Okay. <laughs> Before you think too much about this, I will remind you, we'll live in a world where Amazon gave Woody Allen money <laughs> to work with popular young actresses. That is so, us. Who's going to be in that TV show with him? Miley Cyrus. I don't, I'm not saying this because I don't, want, I don't want us to wade into the whole Woody Allen thing. I'm just saying, this is the world we live in. Right. Yeah. Fuck Woody Allen as well. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> There's nothing <laughs> more needs to be said about that cretinous creep. So on the one hand, I mean, neither of the options are good. You either have, they are lying but happy to spread the message that making a woman disastrously uncomfortable is a good way to sell your movie. Right. Or they're saying, it's okay for you to do all of these things in the name of quote-unquote art. It's just, there is this increasingly blurred line between actors and their characters. and It's kind of like, after uh, Heath Ledger passed away, there were all sorts of tweets and blogging I saw which were like, well, that role was so like mentally intense and drove him mad. And I'm like, first of all, that was months ago. He was working on another movie. And second of all, it's a job. Like, mm-hmm. get over it. I get that the viewing experience is intense for you, but for the actor, it's a day at the office. So this pretentious fucking method acting of like, no, in order to play the Joker, he has to actually be that horrible person with no limits. It's called acting, children. Right. The Lawrence Olivier line. Have you tried acting, my dear? Right. But I think this this kind of slides into the issues certain people have with understanding that maybe co-stars who are playing partners and a husband and wife on screen are not dating in real life. Yeah. What are you referring to, Raiden? Oh, hmm. I'm referring to the Outlander truthers who we can add to the list of truthers we have because we have a long list of them at this point. But there are people who are absolutely convinced that Katrina Balfe and Sam Hugan are a couple, even though they're not. And it's pretty clear from interviews that they're not. If I had to make a guess, I would guess that maybe he wouldn't mind if they were, but she's really not into it. Doesn't she she have a boyfriend? She is dating someone else. Um, There's a Twitter user who I will not name who put up a poll deliberately designed to mock her boyfriend because he's not as stacked as Sam. So how could she possibly be attracted to this guy? How dare she not be completely shallow enough to base a man entirely on his lips? Yeah, yeah, on his abs and arms. What a bitch! I know! (laughs) And they 
constantly harassed Terry Dresbach, who is the costume designer and also the wife of Ronald D. Moore, who is the showrunner, to get her to confirm or deny. And her she's you know, answers them and says, I don't get into this. I have my own personal opinion, but I'm not gonna get into this drama, which I mean I think she would really be better off not answering these people at all. But like come on. Don't tag Sam in your own little thing. Like Katrina never talks on Twitter at all. Gosh, I wonder why. And Sam really doesn't do much either. Y'all drove Haley Atwell off Twitter with your weirdness. And I'm kind of afraid what the internet is going to do to Jenny Slate now that she's dating Chris Evans publicly. Side note, but get it, girl. Oh, yeah. Very proud. Very proud. Well done. Well done. But handbags, everyone. What <laughs> me about the, the Outlander troopers is the, the assumption that everyone has about things like Rob Stenpans is that they're teenagers. But yeah. by and large, in the same case here, they're not. They're women in their 30s, 40s and older. Mm-hmm. Like these are women who should know better, and they followed the same pattern. Like we did an episode on fandom and fan theories a while back, and we talked about the root that all of these conspiracies about you know these people are actually dating follow, which is you know management is stopping them from being their true selves, and you're all sheeple for not noticing and all these things. You'd think that someone at some point would step in and say, "We're all doing the same thing here. We can't all be right on this. Hollywood is not that." shady it's shady but it's not that incompetently shady that the only people who can point out this theory are us with our tumblers right right or your buzzfeed articles listing off like kind of go i mean the buzzfeed article tone is very much a can you believe these fuckers with your photoshop theory and diagrams and and shadow analysis and all of that and, and yet all of those people were still replying to that BuzzFeed article saying, thank you for supporting us. Yeah. So either like, they are that stupid or BuzzFeed are happy to stoke the fire there. I think it's a bit of both. Like, if if you want to watch Outlander and enjoy it, go for it. But, you know, you have Jamie and Claire. You don't need Sam and Katrina. They're not yours. They don't owe you anything. Okay. Oh, I don't get what inspires people to be like that. I really don't. I'm not interested in my own life the way these people are interested in somebody <laughs> else's. But they're not the only ones with awful fans. Oh, oh God. Every, everybody yeah. has awful fans. <laughs> I mean, it's a truth universally acknowledged that if you have a fandom, there is going to be a certain percentage of those fans that are irrevocable twats. As Jane I Austen love... said. How do you say that? <laughs> Twats. <laughs> I know it just doesn't work for Americans as well, does it? No, no, no we say twats. <laughs> no, it just doesn't sound right. It sounds worse, actually. Of course it does. It's because we're all nasal. Twats. <laughs> so, yeah, if you have been off Twitter under a rock since the release of Batman v Superman, or as Sunil calls it, Babies versus super babies. <laughs> <laughs> Bang on the money there, Sunil. Yeah. <laughs> if you follow any number of film critics, you will have seen the flaming garbage pile 
that seems to follow them everywhere since reviewing this film. If they gave it anything less than two and a half, three stars, maybe? Anything less than 100% glowing was proof that they were all being paid off by Marvel to give the film bad reviews in order to lower its box office. Yep. Which, if that is the case, Marvel owes them all a bonus. <laughs> yeah. The Where's my bonus, Marvel? Marvel? Is their total Where's my bonus? Yeah, I want my money on this. Yeah. I didn't see the film, but I'm sure I helped in my evil, misandrist ways. <laughs> well, I did review the film. <laughs> I want my bonus, Marvel. I want my bonus. Give me my money. I want my $2. <laughs> the thing is, Marvel are known for being kind of tight with their money. Like, they don't pay their actors that much. They always hire really cheap directors. Where are they going to get all this money to give to critics? Mm, it's just they the most made it bizarre. off all of the Black Widow merchandise that they saw. Oh, wait. <laughs> mm, yeah. I think you're trying to insinuate something there. Oh, me? No. I would never. I would never. So, this was obviously ridiculous, but the amount of traction that it gained amongst certain uh, gamergatory roots of the internet was unsurprising, but still really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. You didn't even have to hate the film. You just had to be vaguely critical of it in some sense, and it was proof that you were some sort of evil paid-off critic. And it's this conspiratorial element of fandom that I find so incredibly exhausting and unappealing. And I think that it is partly a way to keep out quote-unquote undesirable voices, who are usually women. But the way that they, they tried to sort of close the gates around the film and the people involved and all of these things was very revealing, because the sense that you got was you're wrong because A, this material doesn't mean as much to you as it does to me Mm -hmm. and B, you're just trying to insert some sort of agenda into this. Yep. For most critics, the agenda was, I want to see a good movie and this is not a good movie. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Can confirm. So that was really hard to watch, particularly because there are a lot of critics who I really like who were getting so much crap. Mm Mm-hmm. And... It was totally unnecessary. I mean, this is the hell you want to die on? The yeah. only hell more pathetic to die on is the hell with all those creeps who think that the Lady Ghostbusters are going to destroy us all. They're not? Shh, we discussed this in the meeting. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What happens when you don't come to the meeting on time? The minutes are ruined and we've all got to move around and get the seats and, oh, <laughs> another plan foiled. I'm sorry, I'll buy the booze next time. I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm the American, it's my job. (laughs) It was really the kind of exemplification of the most toxic elements of fandom. The element of fandom that Paul Feig referred to as assholes. And he's not (laughs) wrong. No. And I I don't think that they did that much harm to the box office. I feel like the film did enough harm to the box office itself. And we'd like to point out that, you know, harm to the box office is still like $900 million. Yeah. Or 800, whatever. Like, they're not that far off the billion mark. Yeah. But this is what happens when you spend all of your money on marketing and assuming that you know what people want when it turns out that you don't. Hmm. That's not necessarily just DC's fault. Like, look at everything in filmmaking right now. They don't make big budget movies anymore. It's all about 100 million or more. Right. 
Although that might change because of Deadpool. Maybe. I'm. It'll be interesting to see what lessons the industry decides they learn from Deadpool. They tend the wrong ones, don't they? Oh, they're oh. definitely gonna. They're they're going to say, oh, what people want is swearing and gore, not. Yeah. Someone who understands the character. Right. Someone who understands the character, fun and uh, not treating all your female characters like shit. I think one of the reasons that Deadpool did as well as it did as well is because those expectations were so low. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't make a film for committee. One of the big criticisms that Batman vs. Superman got was you can see the studio notes. You can see the moment where someone stepped in with, like, a chart. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we're like, you know, 64% of viewers really want this suit to be bulkier. Something like that. No. And that's not in Deadpool. <laughs> 99% of viewers want that t-shirt to be tighter. <laughs> And we got that. So, not not all the notes were bad. <laughs> so, I don't think that they're necessarily as good at managing that as Marvel have become. But Marvel is a finely tuned machine. They have yeah. to be, because what they have put in place is, you know, technically very ambitious. Yeah. Um, but it's exhausting to keep up with. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's a formula that everyone in Hollywood is now trying to repeat. The news just came out that Gareth Edwards, who's directed Star Wars Rogue One, has dropped out of directing the Godzilla sequel because they want to turn it into Godzilla versus King Kong. Oh, Who asked for that? Nobody. That's all right. We wouldn't get to see any of it because the bunker doors would close on the actual <laughs> fight. And it would be a bunker full of white people. And Ken Watanabe. I am still bitter. <laughs> but as for DC, that's okay, because Ben Affleck will save them. <laughs> because Batman v Superman has now segued into a very pub- public Ben Affleck v Zack Snyder. <laughs> See, this is more interesting to me than the film. Oh, so much more interesting. And I think this is why Ben Affleck signed on to be Batman. Because this, this was the eye on the prize. You know, Ben Affleck has finally regained the respectability that he won after Goodwill Hunting. And lost. And then he lost the... it by trying to be, like, a proper leading man. And he's not a leading man. Like, he can be a very good actor, but he's not Tom Cruise. He doesn't have the charisma for that. He's too brewish, I think. So then you go and do Argo and you win all these Oscars and everyone's like, oh, we like you again. Oh, we're so glad. Are you going to stick to being a director? Are you going to be like a new Clint Eastwood? Oh, no, no, you're going to be Batman. Oh, okay. But, you know, he does it because he wants to direct Justice League. (laughs) I mean, I don't really blame him for wanting to continue to be an actor because, I mean, I heard parts of that job that are really fun, right? And... He's definitely trying to regain what he lost by being in Daredevil. Oh, I think Daredevil's got a lot to do with this. Oh, mm-hmm. a lot. Such a lot. But, you know, it gave us that Evanescence song, so how bad could it have been? Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it's still pretty bad. <laughs> it must be an interesting experience to have been an actor in one of the earlier failed attempts at a superhero movie and then watching this kind of superhero renaissance in cinema and not only in terms of critical standing but financial mm-hmm. not that i'm saying ben affleck needs money but it's still a lot of money yeah i mean i kind of 
want to sit down with Billy Zane and go, so, Phantom. (laughs) (laughs) Which, look, I ain't gonna lie. I loved that movie. It's terrible. But I loved it because I was, how old was I when it came out? 14, 15? I was the right age for it. For all of it. But (laughs) it was not a good movie. (laughs) I like The Shadow, too. I like The Shadow. My favorite superhero movie is Hellboy 2. (laughs) <laughs> that movie's pretty which is basically Guillermo del Toro's going you know what I've already made a Hellboy movie I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want now yeah right it's hey, a movie Ron? that's so good it makes Seth MacFarlane bearable awkward pause as we all consider that statement I don't know if I well, you don't see his face you. in it that helps well yeah meanwhile we've also because the kind of cancellations and renewals are going on have a uh, like a little bit of news on the TV front for all of these franchises as well. Because, as we keep on saying, like DC can get it so wrong on the big screen and yet so right on TV. Mm, sometimes, sort of. To a watchable extent, and uh, Supergirl's moving to the CW. There, that is true. Now we'll see if all the women on the show survive. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. In the exciting news, this may mean... Well, crossovers, because now we've now established he's in an alternate Earth from Flash and Arrow, but that may mean that they can bring in actors to play alternate Earth counterparts of their characters. Mm. And that can be fun. It's been a bit of a massacre on TV this season for cancellation. It really has. I mean, first they killed off all the women and all the people of color, and then they couldn't decide whether or not they were going to keep the shows on anyway. Right. I don't watch Castle, and I am obsessed with the Castle renewal stuff. Castle's officially cancelled. After they sacked the leading lady. Well, the thing is, okay, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has not had... It's, it's, some finales have aired, some haven't. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finale hasn't aired yet, but they're, they've been prophesizing a, a great and significant death. And they're almost nodding towards the character of Mac... And I'm sitting there going, like, there's just no way that they're going to have two finales in a row of let's kill the black guy. Mm-hmm. Like, surely they're not that stupid. I think they're that stupid. Of course they're that stupid. I did greatly enjoy the statement Marvel released after the Doctor Strange whitewashing scandal happened. And they were talking about how they've always been committed to diversity. And I was like, fucking where? Since when? Oh. They, they don't even have diversity in the first names of the white guys they hire. 90% of their superheroes are played by a guy named Chris. <laughs> They'll come up an assembly line. Yeah. So I think the takeaway from all this is that we do not actually have superhero fatigue because we've talked about it for an hour. I have superhero rage. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think my fatigue will lessen with Black Panther and Captain Marvel if only because they're potentially going to offer us something we haven't seen before. True. You know, they're stories we're not as familiar with. They'll be made by filmmakers who don't usually get chances to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And yet we have to wait two years. Damn it, we need more Spider-Men. Right. The great rumor that there's that's floating around right now regarding the Captain Marvel movie is that the director and the leading star have the same first name, mm-hmm. which is why everyone is theorizing that the director is going to be Emily Carmichael, who's never directed a feature-length film before. She's a hugely celebrated writer and short filmmaker. 
but has never made a feature film before, which would be a new step for Marvel. They do tend to hire these kind of, you know, solemn indie directors who made a film for like $40,000 in their mum's garage. So that would make sense. But then that means if she is the director, then the star is Emily Blunt, mm-hmm. which uh, is the predictable choice, but it's also the right choice because we've all seen Edge of Tomorrow. And right. she's great in that. And she should be a bigger star because she was originally going to be Black Widow and she had to drop out of it due to scheduling. And then when we get Black Panther, you know, it's Ryan Coogler, Chadwick Boseman, who's amazing. He was a fine specimen of a human being. You know, we haven't really talked about our impressions of him in Civil War, but he did really well. He's always been one of the best actors working. Like, he has all of these massive high-profile roles that if he was white would have gotten him Oscars and acclaim and money. Because he played mm-hmm. not only Jackie Robinson, but James Brown. Yeah. And got great reviews for it, and no one saw those movies. Because racism. So I'm really glad that he's getting this career boost, and I hope the rumours about him and Nicole Bihari are true. She deserves it after the way Fox mm-hmm. treated her. Total upgrade from Fassbender. Yeah. City Hall also got cancelled, didn't it? No, it got renewed. Did I thought I, I saw a cancellation yesterday. But it's officially said renewal on Variety. They may have changed oh. their mind after everyone went, what the fuck? <laughs> no, you're right, it, there wasn't. Yeah. Poor Tom, my son. We need to get him out of that. We do. We do. We need to get Nicole Bahari and cast in Black Panther, too. Oh, Chadwick Boseman is also about to play Fergood Marshall in a movie. Nice. Like, this guy's career is so good, he survived gods of Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And he looks real good in a cat suit. Real good. <laughs> I really hope Marvel just let Ryan Coogler make the Black Panther that needs to be made. And don't try to meddle with it too much. Just be like, you know, you go have your fun. Because I think the Russo brothers have been given a little more you know, leeway in that way. In a way that even someone like Joss Whedon didn't get. Definitely. I mean, like, just look at all of the the random crap that was in Ultron that was not in Civil War. Hey, it's Thor's cave diving trip. Or exactly. Something. I don't actually know what happened there. Did anyone? No, because it was it's a deliberate setup for Ragnarok. Which I'm reasonably excited for. I think Thor 2 is such a, a step over movie where it's kind of like, you know, we're here to join the dots. But the third one's going to be directed by Taika Waititi which I'm really excited for, because he made uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which is hilarious. <laughs> and he was one of the like kind of behind-the-scenes guys on Flight of the Concords. If you haven't seen What We Do in the Shadows, watch it. It's so funny. It's not on Canadian Netflix, and I hate that fact so much. Ooh. Just the trailers. You can watch the trailer and repeat and still be. <laughs> <laughs> also, Taika Waititi wrote the script for the new Disney film Moana. Oh, that one I'm looking forward to. With music by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda, possibly the first person to win the EGOT and the Pulitzer is what I'm hearing. The P-GOT. The P-GOT. <laughs> Let's um, make it happen. Let's show that we have good Google that. Because, like, he totally will. But I'm just... I cannot be the only one who's got that. Speaking of Lin-Manuel Miranda... Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. We yeah. have... One of yep. us has big news. One of, <laughs> one of us managed to capitalize on Ticketmaster um, revising their policies 
or how many tickets you could buy at one go and has a ticket to Hamilton in November of this year. Not 2024, this year. Hey, I'm, I'm not jealous. No, you can be jealous. It's fine. That's like literally getting the golden ticket. And it's a Friday night, so I'm just going to go and make a weekend of it and see what else is showing that weekend that I can get considerably cheaper tickets to on Saturday night. Look at you. You didn't blow away your shot. I did not blow away my shot. You should go see Fun Home if you get cheap tickets. We'll see if it's still up. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what's up. The sheer amount of musicals that opened this season on Broadway, I think they all had the idea of, well, not everyone can get into Hamilton, so we should be there sort of waving from the sidelines like, hey, you should come see us. Grand. <laughs> Nobody is. <laughs> the spillover has not been there. Although I do pity all of the musicals that are running against Hamilton at the Tonys this year. It's like, and the winner is, and here are these other people. Right. I mean, fortunately, Spring Awakening was a revival. <laughs> Really well received revival too. Yeah. Okay, so Lin Manuel Miranda would not be the first person to get the pigot. Uh, Marvin Hamlish and Richard Rogers have both done that. Oh. But he'd be in good company. I mean, oh, oh, oh. the guy that you know worked with on Carousel and Sound of Music—that—that's pretty good company. Yeah. Our last egot winner was only 2014. And also a music dude. I love it. Was that um, the guy that wrote Frozen Let It Go? Yeah, Robert Lopez. Oh, yeah. Ah, So, our upcoming slate of superhero movies. DC ones we probably don't care about. Doctor Strange, which we definitely don't care about. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah. I care about it less and less the more I think about it because there's so much about that first movie that has begun to make me resentful. Oh, I, I was on that when I walked out on that movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've talked about it before, the way that Gamora was treated and things yeah, like that. Yeah, no, I couldn't get over it. Spider-Man Homecoming. Okay, care a little bit. Thor Ragnarok. Black Panther. Two fucking years I have to wait for this movie. <laughs> yeah, and three before we get Captain Marvel. Uh, yeah life's hard for an MCU fan okay so here's a question what ideal fantasy superhero movie would get you the most excited let's say that you work for Marvel or DC or some studio and you get to option any superhero cast it with whoever you want any director oh, any so writer, ha- what do you has do? to be Marvel or DC doesn't matter doesn't matter because honestly, if I were making right now a, a comic book property into a movie, I would want to revive Red Sonja. Mm. Oh, that'd be really good. That'd be fun. Especially the current run. Yeah. By Gail Simone, which is incredibly fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would want to cast not like a well-known actress, but I'm also thinking maybe dip into the talent of like lady wrestlers. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe go for a lesser known name. I'm just saying that that's that's where I'd go. Mm-hmm. Like Gail Simone writing that would be mm-hmm. really good because there's a great issue of the comics that she's done where this group of kind of thieves are trying to rob her while she's sleeping, and she wakes up and is basically like, 
I'm really hungover, so can we use a quiet voice while I beat the shit out of you? <laughs> like, I want to see that in a film. I think that would be incredibly good fun. And I'm interested to see how, like, a, that kind of pulp fantasy action would work. On yeah, I, I want to try a revival of that, so that, that, that would be my pick. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see a Storm standalone. Ooh. Would you recast? I don't know who I would cast. Um, Gugu is an option. Gugu is an oh. option for like everything in my world. Please, she that woman needs so much better roles. She? she does. She's in Free State of Jones, which I have some questions. Like, is this yet another white savior movie? What? Mm. Like, yes, it's based on a real story. And I wouldn't be quite as uncomfortable if we didn't have, if we we weren't living in such a a drought of stories about people of color in this era. You know what I'm saying? Also, I strongly suspect that they whitewashed the history just based on previous exposure to what Hollywood does with real stories. Is this the uh, Matthew McConaughey movie? Yeah, the Matthew McConaughey fuck all y'all and your civil war we're our own group of people black and white living together, (laughs) refusing to fight in the civil war because fuck everybody. Ivory. Ivory. (laughs) 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 Yeah. But yes, I want to see Gugu in all the things. Uh-huh. I'm really annoyed that she's being reduced to the feather duster in Beauty and the Beast, by the way. <laughs> if I were to, okay, so I think if I was to go for any superhero movie, and I know that she's not been around very long, but her popularity, I think, warrants it. I would go for Miss Marvel. Yeah. I would get G. Willow Wilson to still write it, because mm-hmm. that's her creation. You know, she has the handle over that. Right. Um, I would get, I think, Anna Lily Amirpur to direct it. She's an Iranian-American director who made A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. first feminist vampire western. And I would basically just, like, give them the property and the money and tell them to do whatever the hell they wanted. Mm-hmm. No meddling, no notes. Here's my question. Do you Because th- I think Ms. Marvel would make a good TV show. Because you could go into that... You know, high schooler, I mean, kind of in the vein of Buffy, not in terms of tone, but, you know, like we had the high schooler kind of supernatural adventures. Like, that's that's a thing we, we've done successfully on TV, so I think Ms. Marvel would, would do well. Showrunner by Lexi Alexander. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm actually surprised that something hasn't been optioned or at least discussed in some way on that. Well, she's an Inhuman, and the Inhumans are this kind of weird property in that they're very heavily developed on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. but also there was supposedly an Inhumans movie on the slate, and I and I don't know that it's actually going to happen, because I think they won't eventually, they ultimately will not want to do a movie that's beholden to so much TV canon. Well, the movie was dropped indefinitely from the schedule, I believe, and Kevin Feig was doing his whole, no, it doesn't mean we're not making it, we're just, you know, rearranging a few things right now, which makes it sound like 
So that doesn't surprise me at all. If that if that was like actually dropped, that yeah, zero surprise. I think they might just give give the Inhumans to the TV property to the Agents of Shield because like literal. I okay, spoilers to any listeners up to the most current Agents of Shield episode. Uh, not only have they introduced Inhumans as a device in the universe, the entirety of this latter half of season two. It's season two, right? Whatever. Wait, no, it. it's like season four, three, whatever. It's current season. Long ago. The entirety like... of this season is about the like. It's about Inhumans. It's about the original Inhuman godlike figure who wants to take over the world by turning everyone Inhuman and subjugating them. And so, because like... if everybody is special, then no one will be special. When is Incredibles two coming out? Twenty <laughs> nineteen. Ah, that's too long. I want uh, it now. It takes a while to animate a thing. I don't fucking care. I want it now. <laughs> <laughs> that's an underappreciated superhero movie. But yeah, so so it's it's really all in, like the Inhumans are central to Agents of Shield plot. Also, by the way, it was a kind of a weird experience in that on TV, the world is ending. Like literally this. Right, the show has no bearing on the the movies have bearing on the show, but the show has no effect on the movies, which quite frankly is fine. It means that I can give up on the show and not lose anything. Because the show not not only was the show deeply affected by the first Captain America, right, like when Shield kind of got dismantled and went underground, but now the show has to deal with well, there's the Sokovia Accords, and do our humans have to sign them or operate by their by their standards. But again, the world is ending on TV, and meanwhile on the big screen, Tony and Steve are sad and bickering. Right, exactly. The MCU has gotten too big for its own good, and it needs to... Like, how the Netflix shows feed into everything, which is the movies have minor effect on the show. But not huge. And that works out. Uh-huh. And what's going on in Hell's Kitchen is such small potatoes that it doesn't affect the larger movie universe. Except my only, I, I am, I guess ultimately it's kind of has to work like the comics. Like you have to segregate them because you can't have constant, because you want no. the stakes to be high, but you also have to have this invisible wall between properties where it's, they can only cross on very special occasions. And that's why on Netflix and like Jessica Jones, you can have a telepath or however you want to classify it, Kilgrave, you know, taking over the entire city and killing every people and controlling everyone. And meanwhile, S.H.I.E.L.D. apparently, despite monitoring superhuman activity, apparently has not noticed, despite the fact that it was on the news and a high-profile law firm is... Right, so that happens like that that's what happens when you spread that big right that must be really hard to deal with as a writer or director like i get why people like a lot of directors want to sign on to do those films because it's a huge opportunity and it's a really good stepping stone like if you pull off this film and it makes enough money you've basically if you're a straight white dude got an open door to do whatever the hell you want mm-hmm. but i Okay, obviously I'm putting on my director hat here, but it just must be so strange to try and balance on these. Like, you can't make certain creative dis- or plotting decisions because you've got to put in for cave diving or, you know, mm. but to keep coming back to that. I agree that I think the movies probably are more 
controlled that way than the TV shows, which are... Oh, like, ultimately, the money's not as big, so they don't have to care as much, so... I wonder if their original plan was to have everything so intricately tied together and then they kind of lessened it a little on the TV shows. Yeah, no, I think they clearly... They clearly did that. Yeah. I think that was clearly the plan. And back when it was a smaller number of properties to manage and Joss Whedon was the mastermind behind it all, that worked. And... Oh, God, where am I going with this? There, Yeah, it was a smaller number of properties, and you had one guy, and then things got super, super, super popular, and the studio was like, so maybe we should have some more control over this. Yeah. And mm-hmm. things just kind of grew in ways that were not expected. Speaking of uh, Marvel TV, let's have a moment of silence for officially canceled Agent Carter. Netflix, pick it up. Come on, Netflix. Save us Netflix, your only hope. <laughs> In completely other news, I just saw this come across my Facebook feed. CBS passes on Nancy Drew adaptation for testing two female for lineup. Man, who would have thought all those fertilized eggs that turned into women would like like things and get all their cooties all over our money? Yeah. You know, it took me a, se- a second to, like, decipher that sentence, and now I'm actual facepalming. Yes. You know how movies like Fifty Shades of Grey and basically everything designed for women, like out- TV shows like Outlander and Jessica Jones and all these things do really well, get critical acclaim, and are watched by women, and the response is always, what does it mean? <laughs> you think someone would get a post-it and just write women on it and put it somewhere. You'd think that. You'd think that. And I'm really tired of having to have the same conversation over and over and over and over again. And also this conversation that movies and shows about people of color, of all colors, do well. They make money. So make them. If the white dudes are sad because not everything is suddenly about them... I don't care because women and people of color and women of color all have money and they want to give it to you and they want to see themselves reflected in the media we consume. And it's good for the white dudes too. Yeah. The news is that the Black Panther movie is going to have a 90% African slash African American cast, which is amazing. And apparently Marvel feel apologetic about this. I was like, darling, this is going to make you so much money. It's going to make you so much money. And also, the movie is set in an African nation, so... Yeah. So, I'm just I'm just saying that it should be mostly... African if there's someone people. who definitely doesn't need a white savior, it's a man who is a king-slash-warrior-slash-superhero-slash-scientist of his own damn country. Of his own damn country that was never colonized. That's the point. It was never colonized. So I guarantee you that, sorry, I guarantee you, Black Panther is going to make at least a billion dollars. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because the people who really want to see that movie are going to see it over and over again. If you're on Twitter, go follow the hashtag Black Panther So Lit. Yeah. Just for the sheer enthusiasm that this movie is eliciting, and it hasn't even started shooting yet. 
Yeah. This was based off of the mere possibility that Lupita Nyong'o might be in it. Also, for those who haven't seen uh, Civil War yet, the mid-credits secret scene is in Wakanda, and it looks fucking gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad yes. that Ryan Coogler is doing that film. Yeah. Like, he, he is going to rock that film. Yes. Oh, in other movies that are going to make a fuck ton of money, uh, have <laughs> you seen the casting notices for A Wrinkle in Time directed by Ava DuVernay? No. No. Disclaimer, I have not read the book. It wasn't <gasps> my test. Alina! <laughs> oh my god. Alina. No. Oh, no. Oh, it's honey. It's really wonderful. Oh, sweetie. You need to... It's- I swear to God, I will start listing all the formative Russian novels of my childhood. <laughs> but you need to, you need to go to Kindle right now. They are very, very charming. I think they, they were are. more of an American child thing growing up, but I did read them later on and they're really wonderful. Definitely. That's nice. Who did they cast? Oh, they haven't, they, they've just released the the notices for what they're looking for. Oh, okay. So it's not. But it's good. Is it race blind? No, not race blind. Not white. Oh, brilliant! Thank you, Ava DuVernay. <laughs> yeah. Like, she is probably the only woman of color working as a director in Hollywood right now who can have that mm-hmm. kind of clout. Yeah. So use it well. I will Meg, say, I am... Yeah, um... Meg, to play 14 years old, mixed race, African-American, Caucasian... Charles Wallace, five years old, mixed race, African-American, Caucasian. Uh, Ethnicity for Calvin, African-American, Hispanic, Asian, South Asian, Native American, Middle Eastern, Southeast Asian, Pacific Islander, African descent. Whatever. See? Ava knows what's awesome. And, like, for, especially for nerdy girls in their middle school, early teen years, this book is so formative, and this movie is going to be so formative for not-white girls of the same age, and I'm so happy for them. (laughs) I will say, uh, so Disney have announced their slate of films going into, like, 2047 or something, I don't know. They're on a kind of a a big money-making spree right now because their live-action adaptations of their most formative works are doing really well. Cinderella made a lot of money. Jungle Book made a crap ton of money. And it's actually really good. Like, it's basically an animated film with one live-action actor. Mm -hmm. But it looks incredible. And also, um, Christopher Walken as King Louis. (laughs) And yes, he sings. But, here are the films that they have announced so far. Cruella, starring Emma Stone. A Wrinkle in Time. Jungle Cruise. Dumbo, directed by Tim Burton. (laughs) The Mary Poppins sequel. With Lynn. With Lynn Manuel Miranda is in it. And starring Emily Blunt. Yeah. Maleficent 2. And Nutcracker in the Four Realms, with director Lassa Hallstrom. Mm -hmm. A Tinkerbell project starring Reese Witherspoon. Okay. The Jungle Book 2. And then there are... One, two, three, five untitled films coming over the next couple of years that are either live action or fairy tale live actions. Meaning I'm sorry, my my brain froze on Dumbo, directed by Tim Burton. Yeah, I didn't want to dawn on it too much because that still stings. 
I'm just saying that could be incredibly dark and incredibly fucked up and amazing. Yeah, if it was made by uh, Tim Burton about 15 years ago. It's true. It's true. I mean, I'm looking at um, the the trailer for Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children and going, oh, clearly Helena got Johnny Depp in the divorce. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, let's make a film about a bunch of magical people and the one black person in the film is the baddie. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Who will Johnny Depp play in Dumbo? The pink elephants. (laughs) (laughs) Or the really racist crows. Probably. But what's worth noting about all those films I just mentioned, only one of them is being directed by a woman, mm-hmm. which is um, A Wrinkle in Time. But most of them are being written by women. The Cruella prequel, which is so unnecessary, is being written by Kelly Marcel. Wrinkle in Time is by Jennifer Lee. Maleficent 2 is going to be Linda Wolverton again. Ashley Powell's writing The Nutcracker. Victoria Strauss is writing Tinkerbell. Like, they are hiring women on that front, but, you know, two steps forward, one step back kind of situation. Right. I mean... And then obviously yeah. we've got Beast coming out, which is being um, directed by... Oh, what's his name? He directed Breaking Dawn. That guy. Slate? No. Bill Condon, that's it. Okay. Yes. So... There's lots, of, there's lots of potential, and then there's, like, lots of headaches potentially on the horizon. And that's Hollywood for y'all. <laughs> uh, one last roundtable for us to wrap up on. This is going to be very quick thoughts. Okay. CW Greenlit Riverdale pilot based on Archie Comics. Yay or nay? I don't yay, care. I'm current run is apparently excellent. Sequel. Okay, I'm sorry. And now separately. <laughs> sorry, you go right I in. don't care. I'm here for the Romeo and Juliet sequel series by Shonda Rhimes. That's what I'm here for. Um, I love it. (laughs) Uh, Yay, because the current run of Archie Comics is apparently really wonderful, and it's incredibly diverse, and it's a good step forward. It's not necessarily something I'll watch, but I'm glad it's there. Yeah, I'm I'm with Gary on this one. That run is getting good press, so... um, And CW has been doing well, so we'll see. Well, two hours in, we are obviously not that fatigued. <laughs> so, I guess but we are not doing an episode on Doctor Strange. No. No. Do you want two hours of us hitting our head against a table? No. Nobody wants that. No. Our podcast, podcast is already too long. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. So, we'll see everybody next month. See everybody next month. Goodbye. Bye. You have been listening to Anglophies, a made of fail production.